can't help but notice all the balloons and everything in here. It's going to catch my attention. I like it. I'm not going to say it might be, might be permanent. Maybe so. I don't know. Every time you walk in, feel like you walk into the middle of a prom or something going on. I don't know. So I want to thank everyone that put that on yesterday, man. My, my, me and my girls had a great time. Uh, more my girls than me. My, their daddy doesn't dance very well, and neither do they. But we had a good time. Nonetheless, dancing around, having, having fun. Um, so it was great. Thank you. And uh, if y'all see Lacey, let her know how amazing she did with putting it all together. But uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Kings. We'll be there in just a second in 2 Kings chapter 23. Uh, as you're turning there, I want to let you know uh, something I'm excited to share kind of from myself and from the elders. Um, next Sunday and through the rest of February, we're going to start a, a kind of a vision series, kind of sharing where God we feel like God's leading us at the church. And it's something we want to share with you guys and kind of hopefully start getting excited, excited about direction, about what we're going to start doing as a church, where we're going to uh, start being, putting more emphasis on and stuff. And so uh, if you have made plans, I encourage you as best you can try to be here over the next several weeks as we begin to journey the church and talk about wh- where are we going. And uh, I don't know if I've ever been more excited and yet nervous at the same time of something because uh, there's a lot I'm like, I just really want this to go well. But at the same time, we want to be faithful to the Lord's will. With this, and it's not the Lord's will. We want to be faithful to adapt to whatever God leads us in. So, next week, uh, vision series. So, please come to that. Hopefully, you're in 2 Kings chapter 23 as we kind of conclude our series we're in. And as we're, uh, as you guys hopefully are there, I'm going to ask you with the person close to you, would you answer this question? Just kind of a little dialogue with whoever's around you. What, what are you passionate about? Like if someone were to say, man, this person right here, what would they say you're passionate about? They could tell from your conversation, from your demeanor, your attitude. What would they say? Go ahead. With the person next to you, would you say, tell them, say, you know what? If someone were to say, I'm passionate about what? What would it be? If you're sitting by yourself, introduce yourself to someone around you. Say, hello, my name's so-and-so. I'm passionate about Skittles. I don't know. Whatever it is. You share that real quick. And as you guys are sharing, here's another thing to go with it. How, how do you express that passion? Like, how do they know you're passionate about this thing? Well, what do they see in the way you talk, the way you light up, whatever it is? What, what is it that people say, yeah, this is why I can tell they're passionate? How, how would they, you or they answer that? Real quick. It's funny, isn't it, how real quickly in your life people can tell real quickly what, what you're passionate about and what you're not passionate about, right? I mean, you get around and start talking to someone about something, and all of a sudden you're like, man, this is kind of a strange thing to be passionate about. Like, I, I didn't know, but, but you can tell. It's kind of contagious. Like, you, you can't hide it. When you're passionate about something, it, it just comes out of who you are. You just can't stop talking about it. You can't stop thinking about it. You can't stop being every fire you're being. And even though you might think you don't talk about it much, people say, yeah, you talk about it all the time. Like, I did not care about that, but apparently you do. You just talk about it a ton, right? I, I, I want you to watch this video clip of this band kid and just watch the passion he has when it comes to playing in band. Just real quick. Go ahead.
Now, I don't get excited about band, but I tell you, I want to go to that concert right there where that kid's at. Now, before you think I'm trying to make fun of this kid or something, but no, isn't it? There's something contagious. I mean, most of the time, they can just have this mundane face, but this kid's getting after it. I mean, no, like, he's playing the cymbals like it's nobody else's business right now. Like, like it, my life matters right now what I'm doing. I mean, there's something contagious. There's something that you watch that, and you want to watch. Like, what is going on here? Why is this kid so excited about what's going on? I tell you that because it makes something as mundane as that seem like something amazing, right? And you compare that to another clip I'm about to show you of a guy who uh, is well-known, very famous, a famous athlete right now, a guy named Zion Williamson, who was the number one draft out of high school in the NBA. And he's a guy who's just a freak athlete, just does amazing things, but he's been out playing because he's injured himself. And so the clip I'm going to show you is he's sitting on the sideline watching his team play in a very close game. And I want you to watch his passion. Go ahead and, go ahead and show that. Now, listen, I, I love basketball as much as the next person. And, and that's, a, that's a big game, and, and people pay lots of money. Think the, how much they pay for those courtside tickets for that, that sort of thing. And here he is in the prime, the, the, the best athlete out, coming out of that class, this guy, and all of a sudden people, he's falling asleep. I mean, what is he showing about what's going on there? Like, he's like, man, how boring. This is a tight game. This is important. What does this mean? Like, this team really much. Like, what does that say about his passion? I show you these two things because I want to ask you a question. When it comes to our Christian life, which one of those two would you say represents your Christian walk? When people see your life, do they see this band kid? Like, I don't get it. But this kid, this guy, like, they're going nuts. Like, there's something about what they're into, about this God that makes me want to know it's contagious. I want to see what's going on. Or are you like this number one draft pick that you, and you, when it comes to your Christian walk, you're like, I'm here so I don't get fined. I'm here so I, I just do what I'm supposed to do. When, so often in our Christian life, that's what it looks like. We get so, it becomes so mundane, doesn't it? We treat our Christian life like this is our duty and like come to church is just an obligation and I need to check my box and come. And we just, people see it in our life, in our conversation. They're like, man, God is boring. Church is boring. It's such a waste. Like, why go? Like, you could have slept in this Sunday morning. Like, why, why get up and go? There needs to be something about us. I, I, I think and relate it to people who um, live in very extravagant places like in the mountains or the ocean. And how if you live there for so long, like people who are not locals come and they see them like, wow, do you see the majesty of this mountain? You're like, oh, yeah. You just kind of lose the spe spectacle of what it is, the beauty of what it is. And sometimes when it comes to church, when it comes to God, we begin to forget and neglect and realize what we're doing here, right? We sometimes forget, like, well, how amazing this is true. Like, we're, we're not just here to listen to ourselves sing, to look pretty. We're, we're here, we're, we're in the business of changing lives. We're seeing people come from death to life. We're seeing salvation come. We're seeing lives being changed. We're seeing families be transformed. And yet we walk around like, Uh, C.S. Lewis once said, I love, he said, I, I hope not many people go into ministry for a vocation because my fear is they will become spiritually numb to holy things. That they'll be around so many things of God so often they'll become numb to the attributes of God. And can I tell you, as I hear that quote and think about it in my own life, I'm convicted by that. I can't tell you how many times people get saved. I'm like, oh, cool. I lose the, the, the majesty of what's going on there. Like there needs to be something different about this. There needs to be a sense of excitement. There needs to be something that makes, draws people to God. And yet when it comes to our faith, it comes to our walk, we find ourselves falling asleep on the bench saying, 
uh, I'm here because I have to be. You see, when it comes to a new rhythm, we've been in the series, it comes to this. Here's the big idea for today is, listen, at some point, we have to start living like it matters, like it means something. Like, like what we're doing here is not just a checking the box kind of a walk with faith, not just something we do because God demands it. It's not something we have to do. It's something because it means something to us, because it matters to us, because I'm that band kid that even though people don't seek value in what's going on, this is the best place I could be right here, right now, doing what I'm doing. How often do we honestly do that? You see, we've been going through these series. Our first week talked about finding your rhythm, whatever that is when it comes to your walk with God. And if you haven't done that, listen, it's not too late. Jump in it now. Find your rhythm. What does it look like to spend time with God, to walk with the Lord, to get plugged into the church, to get plugged into a connecting group? What does that look like for your family? We talked about gathering your band, getting the people together. They're going to come around you and do life with you. Like Christianity is not meant to be done alone. It's meant to be done in the context of community. And if you come to church and don't talk to anybody and go right back out in your life, you're not living in a biblical manner of what we're called to be and do. And last week we talked about changing your tune about the way we look at sin. And it was a hard conversation. About sometimes we need to look at ourselves and say, you know what, maybe I'm looking at this all wrong. But today it's about living like it matters. Like this is important. So if you hopefully in your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 23, we include our account of the study of King Josiah, which is only really two chapters in 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23 that talks about King Josiah and all he's been through. And we've seen the reforms that he brings into place. He, he begins pursuing the Lord unlike anything that's ever been before. I mean, he comes from a family background of where his grandfather and his father both just detested the Lord. They put pagan idols and other altars in. They, they rejected the Lord completely, and yet he turns a different leaf. He creates a new rhythm and starts pursuing the Lord. He starts gathering people in the process of what's going on. He begins cleaning house, but yet here is where it gets interesting to me. Look at verse 21. We're going to read verses 21 through 25 and break it down. So it says in verse 21, it says, And the king commanded all the people, Observe the Passover of the Lord our God as written in the book of the covenant. It says, No such Passover had ever been observed from the time of judges who judged Israel through the entire time of the kings of Israel and Judah. That's an interesting passage we'll come back to. I encourage you to underline that if you highlight in your Bible. Verse 23 says, But in the 18th year of King Josiah, the Lord's Passover was observed in Jerusalem. It says, In addition, Josiah eradicated the mediums, the spiritists, the household idols, images, and all the abhorrent things that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem. He did this in order to carry out the words of the Lord that were written in the book of the priest Hilkiah found in the Lord's temple. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, according to all the laws of Moses. And no one like him arose after him. It's interesting, some of the things it says in there, talking about his passion for the Lord, his zeal, what it would look like to live like it matters. Josiah's come in, and they're kind of putting this capstone, this, this book in, explaining his life and who he's been as a king. And there's things I want to draw out for you when it comes to our own life, like when it comes to living like it matters, where should people see it in our life? When it comes to looking at us, where are the areas of our life, our faith, our walk, whatever you want to say with that, where people should say, listen, there is something different about them. When they praise the Lord, when they get up there, man, there's something about banging that drum that they, there's just some excitement in their face that makes me want to know, what do they have that I don't? And so the first thing comes in verse 21 through 23. It talks about this Passover. It says the king observed the Passover of the Lord. This is written in the book of, of uh, law. You see it first in his worship. You see it in his worship. Now you got to understand a little bit about Passover. For the Passover for the Jewish audience is much what Easter would be for our Christian audience today. 
It goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 12, whenever you have God delivering his people out of 400 plus years of bondage to the Egyptians. They've been crying out. They've had this promise from Abraham that someday God's people will be a blessing to all nations and God's going to do something great for them. But yet, at the end of Genesis, you find them going into slavery with, with the Egyptians. And for 400 years, they're waiting for this God. Like, where, where is he? Like, is he going to save us? And God shows up in a mighty way. And he takes Moses and says, listen, you're going to deliver my people and take them out of this land. You're going, you're going to start a new way. You're going to take my people out. And you see these plagues all happen. And the last one was this one about the firstborn child. I said, listen, I'm going to come and take every firstborn child. And those who believe in me, you need to tell everyone what they need to do is they need to take a sacrificial lamb and, and paint his blood over the doorpost. And it sounds very morbid and awful, but you've got to understand it's pointing to a bigger picture that will come someday. And I said, listen, in faith, you need to trust that by doing this, you believe I will skip over your house and I will forgive and then I will save your, your people. And he does this. And they, they flee out of Egypt. And because of that, from this point on, Exodus 12 on, they start celebrating this meal, this Passover meal, just thanking God for delivering, for bringing salvation that would later point to this Messiah in Jesus. And they did this all the time. What's interesting to me is Luke chapter 22, Jesus is sitting with his disciples the night before he's going to be crucified. And they're celebrating a meal. It's the Passover meal. And he, he gives it a new twist, a new turn to it. He says, listen, we're supposed to be celebrating the Passover tonight, and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's what's going to be. Like, there's going to be a new sacrifice coming. And I'm going to pave the way. Like, hey, it's a beautiful thing, what's going on. But yet, Josiah comes and begins celebrating this Passover that's been neglected. What's interesting to me is the next verse, because there's a, 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 a false statement in it. It says, no such Passover had ever been observed from the time of judges who judged Israel through the entire time of the kings of Israel and Judah. That, that's not true. We, we actually know from 2 Chronicles 30, verse 2, that three kings before Hilkiah, that he actually instills the Passover back. It's been 75 years. It hasn't been as long as they've talked about. They have observed it. It's been 75 years. Imagine 75 years in this country and everywhere, not ever Easter being celebrated. And then suddenly, one day, hell of blue, we celebrate Easter. Imagine what that would be like. And that's what's going on. But they said no one has ever celebrated before. What, why are they lying here? Because we know they do. I don't think he's lying. I don't think it's telling a false misnomer. I think it's this, is that there was something different about this Passover than has ever been before. It's why Hilkiah had, or Hezekiah had this Passover celebration. There's something that set the Passover Josiah celebrated. There's something about this worship that was different. As a matter of fact, one commentary I consult online called Constable's Notes said this. It said, as there was no one like Hezekiah who exemplified faith and dependence on God, there was no one like Josiah who was more sincere and passionate in carrying out the changes that needed to be made in the kingdom of God. There was something different about this Passover. Listen, when it comes to our worship, do people see something different in our worship? When, when they come here, do they see something in us and about us that says there's something different about the way that kid's playing that drums right there I've never seen before? Like I've been to a lot of band concerts and I've never there's something different about what's going on. Do it does it exude out of our worship? Does it exude out of our singing? Listen, when we worship God in here on Sunday mornings, is this just a mundane thing we do? Or are we worshiping a risen God who loves us? Are we worshiping something different? When we read scripture, do we read truth like this is what's going to change lives and save lives? Or are we like, yeah, I gotta do my duty this week, gotta check that box in my life? 
Do, do we learn? Do we have hunger? Do we pray to God? Like, it's an opportunity. Like, man, listen, I get to talk to God directly. There's no veil. There's nothing in between me. I can go directly to him. Or do we act like, God, I need to check this off my list. So would you just shut up and listen so I can get it over with? It becomes mundane. Do we praise God like it's no tomorrow? Like, you won't believe what God's done alive. Do we share testimonies like God is still alive? You know what's sad when it comes to people's testimonies? Often we say, listen, let me share my testimony. We go back to whenever we were saved and act like God's never done anything since. God's only capable of saving us once. He's not allowed to come in our life over and over again. Listen, there has to be something different about our worship. Because people see something different about you. I mean, honestly, if they came in here on Sunday morning and they saw us worship, they saw our passion for learning about God, but they go, why in the world would I want what that guy's got? Like, I have more joy watching a football game at home than he has sitting here in a service singing these songs or listening to the Bible or going to these classes. They start tapping on their watch whenever we got to pray. Like, how much longer is this prayer going to go? Are you serious, man? The Lord gets it. Let's get it over with. Like, where is our passion? we got to live like it matters. And Josiah, you see it in his worship. There's something different. Let's be honest. And it's not about a show. It's not about putting on a facade. But really, when was the last time someone saw something different in the way we worship God? Where they looked at us, they looked at me, and they looked at my, not, not, again, not showcasing, but said, you know what, there's something different. I want what that guy has. Let's keep going. So he doesn't stop there. So you see there's something different in his worship. But then 24, something else happens. It says, in addition, as in there wasn't the only area. There was more areas that were, you see something different. It says, in addition, Josiah eradicated the mediums, the spirits, the household idols, the images, and all the abhorrent things that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem. He did this in order to carry out the words of the law that were written in the book the priest Hilkiah found in the Lord's temple. You should not only see it in his worship, but you should also see it in our obedience to God. There was something different about his obedience. Like he cleaned house. He went from being this guy that you walked in and said, okay, this looks like uh, something crazy here, to walk in like this looks like a completely different venue. When you walked into church today, right, you should have looked around and said, something looks a little different today. It kind of caught my attention. I don't remember these balloons. Maybe they are. I've never, I don't know. There's something that catches your attention. Josiah's obedience caught people's attention. Can I tell you something? His obedience was visible and thorough. When it came to his obedience to God, people saw and said, listen, there's something different about the way he's living, about the stuff, how he's acting. And not just that, it's every aspect, not just this one little nook and cranny of his life. It's every aspect of his life. Can I ask you this? Listen. Do people know from your life that you are obedient to God? Without you having to say a word, do they know in your life that you are obedient to God? But here's the other thing that goes with that that's so important. Not only do they know you're obedient to God, but they know that you love God with all that you are. Sometimes we want to dissect those two like they're two separate things. How often have I and people said, hey, we need to go, let's go do this. I'm like, man, I can't. I'm not supposed to. I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to do that stuff. Sorry. And I act like it's my obedient duty to not do that. Whereas me saying, listen, I don't want that. Listen, I, pre- I appreciate what you're offering. I appreciate what you're doing. But I want to follow God. And I, trust me, God is way better than what that is right there. There's something different about my obedience to God. There's something different about me that says, listen, I don't want every aspect of what you're trying to give because God is so much greater. I don't go to other people. When, the, when it comes to my wife, it's like, listen, I don't cheat on my wife because I'm like, listen, I'm not supposed to cheat on my wife. So I'm, I'm not going to do that, even though I want to. Like, that, that's not what I say. I'm like, no, listen, I love my wife so much that I don't even want to touch that 10-foot pole. Like, keep that away from me. Like, I want to be obedient and love my wife because she's the greatest thing in my life. Like, there's something I'm passionate about here, not like, yeah, I'm not supposed to. Isn't that how we sometimes are with our faith with God? 
man, I got to do this, man. God's what make God sound like some sort of fuddy-duddy in our life. Man, he just ruined my life. It would be so great if I could just do it. Listen, following God is so much better. Can I make a confession to you guys with me when it comes to my obedience in my life? Like, I'm not always visible with it. I, I think of a situation not too long ago when I came here. I found a group of guys I like to play basketball. I found a group of guys that play basketball at Oak Hill Baptist Church off uh, May and uh, whatever over here. And I start playing basketball, and for three years, I'm playing basketball every Monday night with these guys. Every Monday night, playing, cutting up with them, having a good time and stuff. And after three years, one guy sits down and, says, and he goes to church there. I says, hey, Eric, man, he says, if you're ever free, you should, you should come to church out here. I said, well, actually, I'm, I'm a youth pastor um, at North Point Baptist Church. And they go, you're a youth pastor? Like, listen, nothing cuts you deeper than that right there, Right? Like, shocked. And I'm thinking, what have I been doing out here? Like, you know, like, what have I been saying? But here's the thing. Like, even though I hadn't made that publicly known, we haven't talked about it, I'm sitting there thinking, listen, by my lifestyle, there was nothing in my life from the way I was playing with these guys, talking to these guys. They're like, there's something different about this guy. How different when that conversation, I'm like, man, I'm a youth pastor. Like, oh, yeah, duh. <laughs> I should have known that, man, by the way you live, by the way you talk. Three years. Every Monday, playing with these guys. And there's nothing different. It's just my mundane routine to go through. Do I live like it matters in every aspect of my life? Is there such an obedience that following God is not a burden, it's a joy and a blessing? We wonder why people don't want to follow God sometimes. The last thing, which I think is so important, verse 25, look what it says. Not only did he follow all the words of the law, it says in verse 25, but it says, before him there was no king like him. Let that sink in for a second. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength. If that doesn't ring a bell, it should. And Matthew and Jesus says that. When they come and say, Jesus, what's the greatest thing we could do with our life? If, we could just, if you could just summarize all the Bible into one sentence, what would it be? He says, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. The second is love your neighbor. And if you can get these two things right, you've summed up all of the Bible. Like, let me simplify it for you. And yet, Josiah is described in the sentence. It says, and no one like him arose after him. You see, you not only see it in his worship, you not only see it in his obedience, but you also see it because he's a king here in the way he leads and he serves, in his passion. Keep in mind, listen, it says no other king was like him before or after. Who was the kings he followed? You're talking about King David as his great, 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 keep on going grandfather. The king who was a man after God's own heart, the one they looked at and said, that's the dude right there. His son was Solomon who wrote, Many of the books of the Bible you see in the Old Testament, like these are the cats he's following right here. And it says there is no one like him who led and pursued and loved the Lord like him. There's no other king like him. Listen, when it comes to my service to God, do I treat service like it's a chore or like it's some joyless, purposeless duty I have to check off in my life? Or like, listen, I'm getting to serve the Lord. Like he's allowing me to partake in the ministry where it's going on. I don't deserve to be here. Like I don't deserve to be on stage right here, but God's allowing me this platform. Is that not amazing what God's doing? Is serving God my duty or my joy? Listen, we need to start living like it's matter. We sometimes come to church like, man, I got to go serve in the children's ministry. I got to go serve in the youth ministry. I got to go do this. I got to go do that. I got to listen to Eric preach again, whatever. Like you just check off whatever is in your life. Like it's some sort of duty I have to do. And like, listen, it's the joy I have to get to change lives and the kids' lives and the youth life and the adult lives. It's my joy to come and welcome people when they come in. This is the greatest day of your life you're going to have. And I'm so glad you're here. 
God, God serving God is not a, a joyless thing. It should be something that, like, God, I want to do ministry with you. I want you to be in my life. But we need to live like it matters. Now, your rebuttal, which is my rebuttal when I started putting this together and talking about it, was this. So, so Eric, you're just saying I need just to, my, my, my thing right now is I just need to fake it till I make it. That's what Christians want. I just need to show up, and even though I have no joy, no passion, what's going on, I need to put a smile on my face and act like this is the greatest day of my life and pretend like it's worth something. That's what I need to do, right? Because that's what Christianity is about. Come smile and pretend what you're not, right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying come here and put on a show to, to, for everyone to see how great of an actor you are. Listen, I want to tell you, you cannot control how you feel, but you can control how you're going to respond to God. And there's a difference in the two. Do you understand what I mean by that? There's a difference in controlling how you feel and controlling how you're going to respond to God. Let, let me illustrate it like this, because I like illustrations. My mind works well with those things. How are you going to respond to God? Think of it. You see, when I think about it, I think of four kind of Thunder fans. Anybody OKC Thunder fans? Maybe not. You're going to just roll with it here and pretend you are. You've got four different kind of OKC Thunder fans that I've seen in my life. The first one I think about was in my last youth group in Chickasha. I remember I had a youth group of uh, like 40 kids, and we're, we're having Wednesday night, and, and I got a call that morning from uh, some guys from the, the Oklahoma City Thunder trying to sell us tickets. And they said, listen, I... I, I need to know tonight if you need tickets. So I go to these kids. I don't have time to collect money. I said, I've ordered 15 tickets to this game. I get them for five bucks a piece. Got cheap. You guys want to go? Like, who wants to go to a Thunder game? I'm like, come on. I put my neck on the line. I bought these tickets. Someone, someone tell me. And I'll never kid. Matthew Wilson, a kid sitting right there, raised his hand. I said, Matthew, you going to go? He says, no. I got to say something. I said, what, Matthew? He goes, basketball sucks. I said, son, you better find Jesus because I'm about to introduce you to him right now. You know what I'm saying? I said, what? He said, yeah. And so me and him in front of all these kids are having an argument back and forth on why basketball doesn't suck. And he's saying it is. And we talked. And so I talked to Matthew. I said, Matthew, just come to the game. I'll buy your ticket. And he'll change your mind. He says, all right, I'll come. He goes to the game. He sat there the whole time with his arms crossed, pouted the whole time. Like, this is so dumb. I'd rather be, I'd rather be doing something else than write this right now. Can I tell you something? To this day, even though he went to the game, there was a free ticket he got in. He still doesn't care about the Thunder. If you're sitting here today, he'd raise his hand and say, Eric, can I tell you something? Basketball still sucks. And I say, son, I'm still going to introduce you to Jesus when we're done with this. You know what I'm saying? So you got Matthew's situation, which some of us fall in. But I think about another kid I ran into at Super Summer a few years back. It was right before KD got traded. He shows up, and he's wearing Kevin Durant jerseys. Man, he's got everything, Kevin Durant shoes. He, he has Kevin Durant fake tattoos. Not really, but he's got Kevin Durant everything on him. He's just all into it. Thunder this, thunder garb, thunder all over the place. He's all excited. And as we know, next summer something happened, right? Kevin Durant left, and our heart and souls were just reached and gutted out of us. I saw this same kid at Super Summer next year. And you know what? He shows up with Thunder gear, except it had a different color and a different theme on it. He's wearing Golden State. I said, what is wrong with you, boy? He says, they're the better team, man. That's why I'm following. I'm following Kevin Durant. I'm following that team. You see, he was a passionate fan. He followed, but the moment suddenly the Thunder weren't good anymore, he went to the next thing that looked best and followed that thing. A lot of people follow themselves around. Then you got the Thunder fan like me. Like, I didn't grow up a Thunder fan. I was just a pure basketball fan. I loved basketball. As a matter of fact, I'd probably say I was a Dallas Mavericks fan. And that all changed. That all changed in game six of 2010 in the playoffs. See, my father-in-law was working at uh, American Fidelity. He won two tickets to game six playoff game. They're playing the Lakers. I remember it like it was yesterday. Never been to a Thunder game. Never been to an NBA game in my life. We were ten rows up center court. Can I tell you, that was, that was amazing. We're sitting up there. The game's going nuts. It's so loud in my ears. I think I lost some hearing that day. It's all good. It was all for a good cause. 
And, and we're watching this game. The game comes down the end with just 15 seconds left. It's tied 94-94. Kobe Bryant comes. I know I'm, 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 I'm reliving. Just go with me here. He, he, Kobe Bryant comes up, shoots the shot. It misses. And I'm like, yeah, we won. And the next thing you know, Pal Gasol tips it in, and they win the game with the last second shot. Man, my life has changed that day. Like, I was a Thunder fan. I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking this cool. Like, I'm all in with what's going on here. I love Thunder. I watch what's going on. But can I tell you, when it comes to my passion, this year they had a Thunder game, and I chose to go watch Frozen 2 instead of watch a Thunder game. I had kids with me, so don't think I just did it on my own, okay? Go see Frozen 2, because you know what? I'm, I'm passionate, but, you know, I'll catch the next one. It's not a big deal, right? I'll watch them when they're irrelevant, when they're struggling. I'll, I'll kind of watch them when they're, when they're down. It's like, I'll catch a game here or there when I can. But when they're good, I'll watch every game. I'll tell you right now, when they go to playoffs, I'll watch every game. I compare that to my, my last guy I think of, a guy named Royce Young, a guy I went to high school with. See, Royce Young went to OU and became a journalist, did all that, and got a job right out of college writing for CBS. Around that same time, the Thunder came to town. He gave up that job. He decided instead he was going to cover full-time, the Thunder full-time. That's what he did. He gave up his job, started a website called Daily Thunder, and began to write and pursue the Thunder, began to watch what was ever going on. He, he devoted his entire, he, he breathed and drank every aspect of Thunder, what it is. He got himself a situation where they started letting him buy the locker room for pressers and stuff. He got to know the players. He had Kevin Durant's number on speed dial, and they used to hang out and talk all the time. It was crazy to hear this stuff. Now he writes for ESPN as a special beat writer for the Thunder. Like he, he devoted his life to this thing. Every aspect of it, all you ever talk, you ran into that, it's all he talked about was the Thunder. It consumed him. It was all he was. Can I tell you something? With all four of us, can I tell you something? We all sat in the same arena. We all saw the same game. But we all had different responses. We saw the same thing, but we all responded differently. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, it talks about the kingdom of heaven like this. It says, like a man who was walking through a field and stumbled upon a treasure that he saw was beyond value. And so he sold everything he has to, everything he has that is not worth it, and he bought that field just so he could have that treasure. Listen, when it comes to God, when we come, when we see God, we have to choose our response. Are we going to see God and allow it to transform and change every aspect of who, it, who we are? I'm going to sell out. I'm going to give it all that I am, all that I got, and know that when I do this, the feelings are going to follow. God's going to make me passionate. I'm going to find truth and joy in what's going on. For Josiah, you see it in verse 25, it says he loved God with all his heart with all his soul, with all his strength, with all his mind, like he was a guy who was sold out for the Lord. And so my question for you is, uh, how are you going to respond to the Lord? When you start finding this new rhythm, you start seeking after this God I'm talking about, when you start finding truth, how are you going to respond? How, how are you going to respond to this message right now? That's the question I have for you. The truth that you're finding. I love Paul David Tripp, who's an author, said this. He said, no one celebrates the presence and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ more than the person who has embraced his desperate and daily need of it. Do you recognize your need for God? The truth of the gospel is this, that God so loves you that even in your worst possible condition, even as you look at yourself, there's no way God could love me, or you tell yourself that, listen, I'm going to try to earn my own way into heaven and do it myself. The gospel tells us this, that Christ died for you. He paved the way because you could not do it yourself. And the reality is we all are exposed to that truth, and now we have a choice. How are we going to respond to that? And there's only one response that matters. It's one life is completely sold out and says, I'm going to live like it matters, like it's all of me. 
God says, I won't take part of you. I won't take 75%. It's either all or none. It's a complete buyout. It's a complete trade of life. And so the question I have for you is, how are you going to respond to that truth? And so where you're at, where you're going as the band makes their way up, I'm going to ask you to do this just to take a second. Don't let this be a series you walk away feeling good about yourself, feeling bad about yourself, or whatever it is about yourself, and not respond to the truth of what God wants you to know. If you're a believer and you know Jesus Christ and you've, you've asked God into your heart, can I tell you something? Listen, you need to start living like this means something to you. Maybe you need to root yourself more in the gospel and get after it and find out, like, listen, this is what it's about. God, forgive me for getting off track. I know your grace is still good and you're still alive. Too often we live like Jesus is still sitting on the cross and he hasn't risen from the dead. For some of you in here, you, you've never asked Jesus in your heart. You've never made a decision for the Lord. And you wait every day thinking, well, I'll just fix it myself. I'll do it myself. Or as long as I'm sitting in the arena once or twice a year, it's going to be good enough for me. Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross for you to get to heaven. He died on the cross so you can have a relationship with him. And if you've missed that, you've forgotten that, listen, you're missing something great. And so I challenge you to respond. And so where you're at with your head bowed, your eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to do that for a second. If God is stirring in your heart and you, you feel like I need to do something, I want to encourage you to get up and go to the back. We have several elders in the back that would love to pray with you. Whether you're a seasoned Christian that's lived your whole life following God, and you've been in this church your whole life, and this is your first time here, and you've never put your faith in God, whatever, wherever you're at, I encourage you to respond. We all sit in the arena, but how are we going to respond to the truth we find? Don't let the day go by. With your head bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to give you a second just to pray wherever you're at and just to allow God just to stir in your life. God, I pray someone would move. I pray someone would have confidence to do what maybe they didn't have before. God, you are, you are the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. God, forgive me for where areas in my life where people don't see it. God, I pray that my passion for you would be contagious like that drummer kid up there. People would see something in my life and see my hunger and love for you, and they'd want that. God, I pray I would start being the best witness possible for you. God, I desperately pray for people in this room who I, I know there's some who have not put their faith in you. God, I pray they would respond. I pray that you would, you would convict them to get up and move and, and ask. We won't force them in decision, God. We just want to help them process it. Thank you, God. I thank you so much for loving me so much that you sent the, your son to die on the cross for my sins. And the God, you didn't just do it for me. You did it for everybody in this room. pray this year would be different for our church. I pray people would see something different in us they didn't see before. God, 
move us to action, move us to people who are hungry to do something. I pray for the offering we're about to take, God, as ushers get in place. God, I pray we would give. Yes, God, I pray you'd help them just have a peace and confidence to know that when the offering plate comes by, we're not asking them to put money in it, so just help them, let them feel comfort passing that along. God, for our membership, God, I pray they'd step up. God, we, we need uh, people to give faithfully. Maybe today it's not 10%, maybe it's 5%, maybe it's 1%. It doesn't matter the amount, it's a matter about the faithfulness. So God, I pray you stir in our people's heart to give. Allow our offering to be pleasing to you. Let us give of the joy and the abundance of who you are and what you've done for us. God, be with our church as we begin to move a new direction. Praise you in all things. Amen.